Welcome, friend, to the podcast today. I'm so glad to be in a conversation with Frank Viola. He's been on the podcast before. We've had some great dialogue in the past talking about his book, The Insurgents, about the kingdom of God. That book has really made a dent. You're going to want to check that out. Really uh, has has affected a lot of people. I'm currently reading, uh, finishing up a book, um, Hang On, Let Go, which uh, deals with going through hard times. But we're talking today, too. I'm going through his book, The 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. How are you doing, Frank? I pray your day's going well. And uh, what's the latest and greatest? Well, let's see. Today's not been so good because I've had audio problems with my digital software. Okay. Uh, but but you just recommended a good program for me to uh, snag. So I'm going to I'm going to do that after we have our interview, and hopefully that'll resolve my headaches. Okay. Um, latest and greatest. The book just dropped and it's doing very well. It. Uh, at least today on Amazon, um, it's number one, the number one book in Christian discipleship in that category. And it's also the number one book on church leadership. So that's very, very encouraging as well as humbling. So I'm very grateful for that. We're so grateful for the, for the work you do. Frank has helped many people around the world deepen their relationship with Christ and enter into a more vibrant, authentic experience of church. His mission is to help serious followers of Jesus. That's really what I see Frank as, as being known for, helping serious followers of Christ know their Lord more deeply so they can experience transformation, make a deeper, lasting impact. He's written many books on these themes. God's favorite place on earth from eternity to here. I've read some of that, Frank. You know, I've got a lot of your books going and I need to, I I need to come to closure on these books. (laughs) Um, uh, A great book about the big picture of things, his landmark book insurgents. I did read that cover to cover reclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and his blog beyond evangelical, one of the top popular Christian blogs and Christian circles today. You can visit his website at frankviola.org. And the website for this new book that we're talking about, you can go to 48laws.com. And Frank, this is a book I'm picking up as I read. I've, I've read about half of it so far. I'm picking up that it's a book for the um, professional clergy class, right? As they continue <laughs> to minister to the teeming masses and the pews. And so if you're not a professional clergy person, you just might want to tune out right now. No, we're kidding. We're kidding. Joke. Joke. Frank, yeah, it's a joke. It's a joke. Frank is a big advocate, and so am I, of the priesthood of all believers, that we're all ministers of the gospel. And so in the tagline of this book, uh, Frank, you have uncommon wisdom for greater ministry impact. And I know you, you're, you mean that to apply to everyone in the body of Christ, correct? Yes, everyone in every kind of ministry. Uh, you know, that that covers you sharing the gospel sharing your testimony with someone who does with someone who doesn't believe uh that covers you having a counseling session with someone who's come to you with okay. a problem mm-hmm. yeah it covers everything mm-hmm. any kind of ministry as well as preaching and teaching and exhorting and and praying for the sick etc whatever you consider to be ministry or service to god that's what the book is about. Hey, Frank, do you feel there's uh, some sense in which the Protestant Reformation, which is just a little over, I guess, 500 years now, is do we have unfinished business in the Protestant Reformation? Well, I mean, the Reformation, gosh, you're, you're talking 500 years 
ago, and that recovered a few things. Sure. But there's been a steady stream of restoration, um, you know, getting things back to the power and the passion of the first century church progressively. So, yeah, there's, I mean, the Reformation, that's... Stop. That only recovered a few things. Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, going beyond just, like, assenting to a doctrinal belief of the priesthood of all believers, but now the practical outworking of that, like every member ministry, right? And just open participatory engagement in the body of Christ. I, th- I think you're all about that. This book, I, I really can't say enough about it. It's... Um, I know it's hard-won practice from years of experience as well as study. And, you know, you mentioned on the back cover or whoever did the back cover content, maybe your publisher, that this goes beyond what people may receive in college or even seminary. And I can tell you, Frank, I majored in theological and historical studies at the undergrad level, and I have some seminary in adult ed and theology and this stuff is really not there in those curricula. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that mm-hmm. for sure. And um, this is stuff that can make or break our, I think, our longevity, our evergreen impact throughout our life mm-hmm. as a Christ follower. And it's just hard won kingdom practice. And um, Frank, um, tell us about the origin of this book and, and what caused you to uh, be motivated to write it. I know that you mentioned that many years of experience, right, have, are behind the writing of this book. But tell us about this book, the origin of it right now. Well, there were two things that happened. One was back in 2015, I decided to put together a mentoring mastermind to a lot of the pastors and teachers who had listened to my spoken messages in conferences online as well, and wanted to kind of have the curtain pulled back as to how I came up with some of the themes that I speak on, uh, how I delivered those messages without notes, and then the power and the passion behind it. And so I started a mastermind for pastors and teachers. I did it every year. And in the course of that time, um, many of them began to share struggles and problems. We all actually did with one another. And so that gave me a lot of content uh, to explore because these are on the ground things that Mm. leaders Mm -hmm. deal with. But the other thing that happened was there was put into my hands um, uh, an external hard drive that a friend of mine gave me that was full of audio books And so I started listening to some of them. And one of the books on there was a book called 48 Laws of Power by a guy named Robert Greene. I never heard of the book and never heard of the author. It is not a Christian book. But basically what Greene does, I only listened to four or five of the chapters. But what he does in the book, it became clear listening to just a few of those chapters, is he's leveraging um human selfishness in um showing us how to leverage human selfishness the nature of the flesh basically to gain earthly worldly power and influence oh, yeah, yeah. and to gain influence and power over other people and so that triggered an idea in me i thought well 
what if there was a book not on the laws of earthly natural power, but on the laws of God's power? And by laws, I'm talking about the principles, you know, uh, the law of gravity, the law of thermodynamics. What are the principles that governs God's power, which is the exact opposite of selfishness and manipulation and all the stuff that green talks about in his book so there was born in me an idea to write a book on the laws of god's power and i was able to distill them into 48 laws uh and so that was the origin of the book and um i just i just resonated with the idea by the way um i am someone who writes the book but i cannot find Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I write it myself. Yeah. So, so the first thing I did was to look and see if anybody wrote a book on the laws of God's power and no one had. Amazing. And so, uh, so I ended up writing it. Wow. Amazing. I mean, I think it says in the, in the old Testament somewhere that once I've heard this twice, I've heard this, that power belongs to God. Am I quoting that yes. right? There's a verse yeah. that says that, right? And, yes, I think so. And I then, believe so. I've read the Bible once. It sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> hope I'm not drawing on the uh, Book of Mormon or the Koran, Koran or something there. But um, And then, you know, Paul says in Romans 1 that the gospel is the power of God. Um, Jesus taught us to pray and to sign off our prayers with yours is the kingdom and the power. So it's kind of amazing that you found that there was not much or anything quite written like this, the laws of spiritual kingdom power, Mm -hmm. when the gospel is the power of God. Um, And we have Paul, too, talking about a form of godliness, don't we? But denying the power of it. Um, But there's a way that things work, I think, is what comes through in your book. There's a practical way that God processes us to release that power to us and where he can trust it maybe to us and release it through us. Would you say that's the case? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And God operates according to certain lines, certain principles. And that's what the book gets into. It it covers the waterfront on how the power of God is released, given and released through a human vessel. And, and when I say power of God, I'm not just talking about the miraculous power of God. All of God's power is supernatural, but it's not always miraculous. Like a sign so for or example, a wonder, yeah. Yeah, like a sign or a wonder. Like the miraculous is when natural law is suspended. So if somebody, you know, has a blind eye and you lay your hands on them and pray for them and all of a sudden the person can see, that is a suspending of natural laws. Mm-hmm. That's miraculous. Mm-hmm. But if you share the gospel with someone, mm-hmm. And their eyes open to see Christ and the conviction of the spirit falls in them and they repent and they believe and they become uh, reborn in the spirit. Yeah, that's supernatural, but it's not miraculous. There's no suspending of natural law. So I say this because, you know, uh, I grew up in the charismatic world Mm -hmm. and when anybody talked about the power of God, immediately they think of walking on water and raising the dead and zapping demons and, yeah. <laughs> you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Right. And and while, while my book certainly applies to the miraculous, it goes beyond the miraculous. Yeah. And God's power often is quite subtle. 
Uh, but it is big and dramatic when people's lives change and there's transformation. Mm. Would you say that it takes the power of God to process a trial well, to suffer well, um, and uh, to see God's power released through us? I, I think that it may, huh? Well, it certainly would take God's power to transform a human being, sure. whether it's through the trial uh, or other means. So, yeah, definitely there would be an application there. Yeah. And that's what you mentioned the book, Hang On, Let Go. That's what Hang On, Let Go is about, is mm-hmm. how to take a trial, a difficult patch in your life, uh, a crisis, uh, some kind of tribulation, and leverage it for the glory of God and for your own spiritual formation. Sure. We might as well optimize it and leverage it, right? I recommended both of these books to a local pastor recently who's really been going through trials mm-hmm. for quite quite a while. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we pray together. And um, so that book, Hang On, Let Go, and this one too, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. So can you give us uh, an example or two of a law of spiritual power in your book that maybe a lot of mm. us don't know about, or it's been neglected? Well, I think probably, I think about half of them have been neglected and um, are things that Christian people, even leaders are not in touch with. I think the other half are probably familiar, but the way that I come out them is at least from what I've been told is fresh and different. Um, but I'll share a couple. Uh, one of them, Brian, is the law uh, in the book that I entitled The Danger of an Empty House. Okay. <laughs> now, it's it's quite interesting because I am immediately transported back in my memory to a conversation I had with a seminary professor. And he's a friend of mine. He's not only a seminary professor, he was the dean of of this seminary. Uh, You know, lots of professors were under him. So he's a very knowledgeable guy, you know, more degrees than a thermometer. Uh, (laughs) And he, uh, we're having this conversation and I was just talking to him about some of the things that, you know, don't seem to be taught in seminary. And exactly what you said in the beginning of this interview yeah. that, hey, I'm reading this book and and they're not teaching this. Well, I mentioned to him, I, and so he said, so he said to me, well, give me an example, Frank, what are you talking about? I said, well, I'll give you a short example, the danger of the empty house. And I talked to him about the parable of Jesus uh, on the danger of the empty house, the peril of the empty house and what happens. And I gave an application, but I didn't go into detail. You know, I kind of kept it vague because I wanted to see if he knew what I was talking about. And he, he got frustrated. He was like, what in the world are you talking about? I never heard anything like this. Well, I hope he reads the book because his eyes will be open. But my point is he had no idea. And here is... I'll give you a little bit of a, I'll give your listeners a little preview. The danger of the empty house, the way it applies to the Christian, right? Right. The principle is a lot bigger than this, is that you are the most vulnerable to temptation when God has used you the most. 
At that moment, when you have expended the power and the energy of God in ministry, at that very moment, when that power has issued forth from you, whether you've seen conversions or healings or eyes opened or spiritually speaking now uh, or physically, mm-hmm. um, at that moment, you are the most open and the weakest to be tempted and to make a really stupid decision that you'll regret for the rest of your life. And I talk about it in the book. I give examples of it. Most ministers don't know anything about this, but when I've talked to them about it in these masterminds and in seminars, they're like, that's so true. I had no, I never put it together. I never saw it like that, but that's true. And so I talk in the book about practical ways to circumvent that uh, so that when God has used you and you have released the power of God and you've ministered under his anointing, things you can do to fill that room, fill that house okay. so that you're not open game for the enemy. And that's in the book. And just, and just what are, are a couple of those um, circumvention um, principles? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go into that. I want people to read the book. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've shared a lot already on this, but you know, if somebody's interested enough, they'll get into it and look at the book. But, but that my point is that is something that's neglected. It's unknown, even at the seminary level. Amazing. And, isn't it? <clears throat> and yet we have, we have a trail of spiritual leaders who have been shipwrecked by this. And if someone had told them it may have helped quite a few of them. It's a very violent context that we're in. You know, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, there being violence around it and disruption and innovation. And, you know, there is a lot of spiritual activity around the kingdom of God as it penetrates this, this environment that we're currently in. And so, you know, if we don't know how things work, <laughs> it can be a dangerous game, you know? Um, if if we don't understand how the kingdom works and how to to steward it with with wisdom, um, we could find ourselves everything from a shipwreck on the one end of a continuum to maybe milder forms of ignorance and compromise that just you know really mm-hmm. um, really trim back our fruitfulness and our impact and our joy in the kingdom. Uh, there is a way that things work, right? Every kingdom has laws and principles in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Principles, enduring principles that don't move uh, and that operate under all circumstances. But the fact of the matter is we're in a war. And if you're on the front lines in the kingdom of God and you're doing the Lord's work, you know, you're open game for the enemy. And so there's, there's certain things that that need to be understood. Uh, Of course, the book covers a lot more than, than this defensive um, law that I'm talking about, the danger of the empty house. But, but, um, you know, Paul in one of his letters said, we are not ignorant of the stratagems, the tactics of the enemy. And this is, this is one of the examples. And it's really counterintuitive because you would think if God is using you in power, 
right? You would think that the moment that that finished, you would just be in the heavenlies. You'd be in the clouds. You know what I mean? You would be walking on spiritual water. You would be immune to temptation, but the exact opposite is true. <laughs> and, uh, and I get into this too. There's a, there's a coda in the book, which is an extra chapter in the back called the danger of God's power. And it is mm. fascinating to me mm-hmm that the people who are used in power the most oftentimes uh, tend to be highly arrogant, uh, full of pride, very difficult people to live with and, and to be around. And then very often they crash and burn. See, the power of God will destroy one person and will absolutely bless another. It really depends on the character of the individual. And I get into that in that chapter. It's it's kind of it's kind of involved because again, this is this is territory that we often don't hear about. Um, you know, people don't talk about it. We, it's scary to find a Christian chasing God's power because they don't realize that there's another side to it. Mm. All right. There's yeah. there's a danger involved in it. Uh, at the same time, and this is going to sound contradictory, we need God's power to be effective in ministry. We need God's dynamic energy, the dynamic energy of the spirit, which is the power of God, in order to effectively bear fruit, right? So so that's the one part of it is how do we gain this power and how do we maintain it? That's the one part of it. The other is what are the dangers involved in it as well? So I try to cover both aspects of it yeah. in the book. Yeah. Just uh, really a matter of life stewardship, right? Being able to, and and I'm hearing, I'm just thinking as you're talking there about from Jesus perspective, if we could imagine thinking from his point of view and whom he would entrust his Royal power to, it would be people that walk with him, people that are close to him, people that are picking up his heart, you know, and it seems to me that that would be a key aspect of, um, from Jesus perspective, how he would entrust us with power. Right, right. Um, If we see such a dearth of power, perhaps it is an issue of we are not positioning ourselves in relationship and in intimacy well with the Lord and in obedience to him where he would entrust us with that power. I mean, that's not going to be an right. encouraging preach, encouraging word to preach today, is it? But, but you know, let's just get real about it. Um, I tell you, one of the laws that really stood out to me was serve in the spirit. It's law 24. Where uh, Paul says in Romans one nine, God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching mm. of the gospel, and just this idea of not coming from a like a psychological level, just a mental level, an emotional level, but going deeper and allowing your kingdom impact to come. And, and you know, this can apply to parenting. Um, this can apply to to business if you're seeking to to serve God from your spirit in business or in teaching. Right. It's not just like church, like we normally think of it, more of a kingdom scope, but completely, you say, completely relying on on the indwelling life of the spirit and of Christ as that energizing force as you um, seek to bear influence for Christ. That is so 
so that that struck me. That is so strong right there. Um, I think we see, you know, I think we see a lot of ministry today. If I could say it, Frank, that is that is coming more from a husk level. You know, we have this sort of this psychological husk that surrounds and envelops our spirit. You know, and, and a lot of it comes from that level. And um, I think God has difficulty with um, putting a lot of His power on that. To be honest with you. Yeah, but you know, this here is the paradox. On the one hand, God entrusts his power to those who whose characters uh, are in line and in step with his will and who are hungry and thirsty. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, God does give his power to people like Saul, King Saul. He does give his power to people like Samson. He does give his power to people like Balaam. And in all three cases, these were people who had serious character character defects. God still uses them, but God's power ended up destroying them because of their characters. Yeah, I was going to ask. So that's the other side of that. And so, you know, I have known throughout the years uh, some men who were tremendously gifted in operating in God's miraculous power, whether it's, you know, word of knowledge or healing or miracles. And some of these guys turned out to be Samson's and Saul's and Balaam's. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and so again, okay, there are things, there's the law, there are the laws of God's power that explain this. How can it even be? How can it happen that God entrusts his power to someone who has such a warped character? Mm-hmm. Um, and the book goes into that. So, yeah, I think, I think there, there's just so much related to this that is mysterious, that's countercultural, that's counterintuitive, that's counternatural. And and that's I think that's why so many people who are in ministry are responding so positively because it's it so much of it is so new and fresh to them, but it makes sense. It makes sense of, of things we see in the in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament that were were kind of odd. But the book pieces it together. And then, as you said before, it gives practical exercises on how to actually flesh out the laws. You know, I personally, as a reader, as I read as well as write, I don't really care for books that just give me information, but no practical handles on how to carry it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. okay, this is really good, but how do I flesh it out? You yeah. know, give me the how. Uh, not just the what and not just the why, but the how. And so what I tried to do in the book, Brian, is give practical hows, you know, H-O-W, yeah. <laughs> to to flesh this out. And, uh, and that's why, you know, that's why I wrote it in that particular way. There's also, uh, you haven't finished the book yet, but at the end, there are those coda chapters. Those are those extra chapters. And then there's a website that's linked in the book that people can go to and there's extra chapters 
Plus, there's audios of seminars and conferences where I'm speaking to leaders and people in ministry, and that's all supplemental to the book. So the book is, it's not the end-all, be-all. It leads to other resources as well, because this is a big, big subject. Yeah, I love how you're, you know, integrating an analog book in terms of a paperback with uh, the digital, 48laws.com. And um, yeah, I did notice because I've skipped around in chapters. I did notice. I think it's law forty-seven. Is put a handle on it, right? Put a handle yes, on it. Make it exactly. Show them how. And I guess we could say that the why and the what are upstream from the how. You know, you really can't get to a how until you know what it is and why it is. But, yes, yes. You know, it's upstream from that. But if we never get to the how, that's where it doesn't really make an impact. Um, is there? Any one law in particular that's been challenging for you to um, follow? Maybe something that you've wrestled with in your own experience and have experienced victory now in? Yes, um, although I'm not going to claim victory uh, as a stand, uh, as 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 a steady stream thing. But, you know, the law about discouragement, um it's home to me. I have a PhD in discouragement. And, uh, and so that was supposed to be a joke. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> piled higher and deeper. Discouragement piled higher and deeper. Yeah. Um, yeah. So some so, people probably thought that was an actual degree out there. I don't know. And, <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I, um, here's the thing. There, there are two things. One, If you're in ministry of any kind, discouragement is going to be part of your life. You can't get around it. I would say, Brian, you can't overcome it uh, all the time. What you have to do is dance with it. Oh, my goodness. You've got to learn how to dance with it. All right. All right. And because it's not going to go away. And so when I say overcoming discouragement, That doesn't mean, you know, you vanquish it, you have victory and it's gone. It means you've learned how to dance in such a way with discouragement that you can keep moving forward and you can keep uh, the joy of the Lord, even though, you know, you've wrestled with discouragement. And so I do give some prescriptions on how to overcome it in the moment, Um, but it comes back and you have to do it all over again. You know, it's a constant dance. And seemingly does the Lord allow it to hang around from time to time? You know, well, it, it did in Paul's life, you know, um, when he was in Ephesus, he despaired of life. I mean, that's beyond discouragement. He was actually in despair. And he talks about this in second Corinthians, uh, the beginning of that letter. And he wrote that from Ephesus and he, he had many adversaries in Ephesus. It was a very fruitful time in his ministry, but it was, a, it was a rip roaring discourager as well at many levels. Um, so I think, you know, for me personally, I will get discouraged, but within a short period of time, relatively, there'll be that bubbling up where I will uh, overcome it, but it's a new, it's a new battle every time it shows up and, uh, and you can't overcome it, but just know it'll come back. Um, yeah. And so I, I explore that in the book, uh, on that particular law. And that for me has been, you know, one of the challenging laws. Hmm. Discouragement. So it's like, 
I mean, it takes courage, doesn't it, to not only walk with Christ, but to then yoke up with Him, partner with Him, seek to allow His power to flow through us so that we can make an impact as He's designed us to do. It takes courage to do that. Um, Some have said that, I think, I don't know, I don't know how theologically correct this may be or something, but I think uh, Jordanson, is that his name? Who's the famous guy on um, the famous... um, Steve, oh boy, what's his name? You know, you know, I'm talking about Jordan or Jordanson, the the, the professor from Canada. He's now a famous. Uh, yeah, le- yeah, le- le- yeah. You know. I know who you're talking okay. about. He, he, he's not. Yeah, yeah. He, he talks about courage being one of the traits that's upstream from a lot of other positive character traits in our in our life that we need to develop. Mm-hmm. You know, courage, but so discouragement. Um, I guess we get our courage from the Lord. He is the lion, right? Maybe the discouragement keeps us dependent upon him, I guess, keeps us coming back to him. And Well, let me give you an example. All right. Let's say that you're invited to keynote speak, uh, or maybe you're not even the keynote. Maybe you're one of the speakers at an event. Okay. Okay. And you get up there and you start speaking and you pour your heart out. And there's a guy sitting in the second row and he's fallen asleep. There's uh, another woman who is in the first row, and she just seems to be oblivious to what you're saying. She's kind of on her phone. She is on her phone, right? Okay. And then when it's over, um, nobody says anything to you. You don't get any feedback. You feel like you hit the ball out of the park. But from what you have seen, nothing has landed Now, brother, that's a recipe to be discouraged. But here's the thing. You didn't really focus on the other guy in the third row who was just on the edge of his seat, who was mesmerized by what you were saying. And the point is, your talk was not for the woman who was on her phone. Your talk was not for the guy who was falling asleep. Hmm. Your talk was for Mm -hmm. that guy who was on the edge of his seat, who you could tell by his face, was blown away. It wasn't for the others. It was for him. Hmm. And that's the point. That's Mm -hmm. one of the points that helps you to dance with discouragement is, well, you know what? It wasn't for them. Whatever I wrote, whatever I shared, whatever I did, the people it did not land on, it wasn't for them. But I'm not going to stop doing it because that would be robbing that one guy who was on the edge of his chair whose life was changed because you'll get a letter from that guy three weeks from now saying, your talk changed my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're not being, I mean, even Jesus, I suppose we could say during his earthly ministry experienced that. Right. Very. I don't, I don't really know uh, if I don't, I think he was, he got frustrated for sure. <laughs> well, maybe not discouraged, but uh, with the, his the varying, disciples. I'm not sure he may have. I, the varying I, degrees I of response, know. Um, you know. I'm the, sure discouragement came knocking on his door. I, I'm sure about that. Um, but I think he danced with it perfectly. Sure. Yeah, I should, I should phrase it better. I mean, he had varying levels and degrees of response, you know, in his listeners, some totally rejecting it, some totally fruitless, you know, that's the parable of the sower kind of shows that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, 
for us to experience the same varying degrees of perceived responsiveness, um, welcome to the <laughs> welcome to the kingdom, right? Welcome to the ministry. That's well, right. That's right. And now, Frank, we're all called to ministry, right? Let's just emphasize that every member ministry. The priesthood of all believers, spiritual gifts and callings operating in, in people, um, we're all called to it, right? We really got to make sure we don't fall into like a pew mindset, you know, totally just receiving, 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 but being yeah. being active. Absolutely. And, right. And, right. and right. you know, people still need to hear that, um, you know. Well, in the beginning of my book, because I say in the outset that this is a book for people in ministry. I'd say it's for pe- it's for teachers, preachers, those who exhort, etc. But in that sense it's also for every believer because you know when Paul wrote to the Thessal- Thessalonian believers in the opening he said and he's talking to the whole church, the whole fellowship. He said um you know you have uh you have forsaken idols to serve the living God. And that's what a minister is. It's a servant. servant. And one of the statements in the opening of the book is if you're in Christ, your whole life is a mission trip. I, I love that statement. Yeah. 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 We're all, we're all called to serve and, 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 you know, it would be a great study. I've recently been thinking of some verses that have been underscored for me about being a servant of the Lord. And I've, haven't yet like captured them into a journal or, or, a, or, a, or, a you know, um, an, an app or something on, on my computer about that. I like to capture information on, but, um, yeah, the Bible talks a lot about it serving and God delights in the prosperity of his servants mm. and, um, you know, serving the Lord, that really should be a deep down driving theme in our, in our lives. I mean, we need all hands on deck. We need, <laughs> uh, you know, if if we as the church are going to like meet this moment, you know, and be faithful at this time in history, it seems to me that we really need to mm. see a high degree of activation, mobilization. I like these three words, Frank. What do you think about them? And, and this would come from my, uh, I'm just imagining this would come from Jesus' perspective, but discovery, development, and deployment. He discovers us, chooses us, he develops us, and then he deploys. Mm, and I like that. It's pretty, um, it's pretty uh, fast paced. I mean, Jesus, I think his, I think his method of development was immersion. You know, was some. <laughs> teaching and equipping and then quick immersion and feedback and more teaching and immersion. Well, I also think, I think, I think that applies um, in a linear way to such things as the apostolic ministry, you know, the 12 that Jesus trained and then sent out. But I think in the life of every believer, um, it, it, it interweaves and overlaps. In other words, those things are going on all at the same time. He continues to develop us. He continues to deploy us, you know, absolutely. He continues to discover and we really discover him. That's not a one-time thing. That's That's an ongoing walk. I slipped into a little preaching gear right there. I felt that. I'm preaching, baby. Yeah, man, come on. It's more like a cyclical dynamic uh, that that cycles through our lives, right? And elevates. And, you know, the proverb says, I think the way of life winds upward. 
for yes. the wise, you know, we're to press towards Amen. the high calling of God in, in Christ you Jesus. But now you're preaching. Oh, that's, uh, <laughs> hey, um, I, 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 I hate to say this, but I'm going to have to run okay. in a little bit. So if, if you want to ask me just one barn burning question to close this out, um, I'm ready. Okay. Well, let's ask this question, Frank, the 48 laws of spiritual power. We're all going to stand before the Bema seat of Christ. We're all going to give an account. Um, how appreciative to the extent that these laws are true. <laughs> and I believe they are, but to the extent that they are true <laughs> to the a, kingdom. That's an awfully strange question. That's an odd question. <laughs> to the extent uh, that your book is true. I mean, I believe it's true. And, 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 you know, I'm just wondering, I, I, you know, we're all, we all need to have that, that sense of accountability and appraisal in view. There is that horizon before us, right? The, Jesus is going to evaluate. I mean, it says that wood, hay, and stubble is going to burn. Gold, silver, and precious mm-hmm. stones are going to be refined and come through. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Mm-hmm. He's committed to us this ministry of reconciliation. He's committed it to us. Um, but you know, I just, I'm just wondering. I'm, 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 I'm really not brilliantly phrasing this question. But 48 laws of spiritual power. How glad are we going to be later on? <laughs> Um, that that we've, you know, employed and exercised and known of and and put to practice these laws. I'm just wondering. That's a that's a that's a glorious you question. Me, you, you got me stumped. Well, I mean, uh, okay. I mean, <laughs> let's say we have. Let's say we came before the 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 bema seat of Christ, and and we've known zero and have applied zero of these laws. Okay, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be in trouble. That's what I feel like. Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm going to well, be sorry. You know, I'm going to be saved, but I'm going to be smoking. I you know, this. I got. <laughs> <laughs> You're cracking me up, man. Okay. I think, I think certainly, I hope, I hope the book will help us to um, find a deeper transformation, which really is the key ingredient to impacting people in ministry, to find a deeper transformation, experience that deeper transformation in our own lives, not just for the here and now, but you're talking about the future, but for that day to help transform and form us. So when we do stand before the Lord, um, God willing, we'll hear the words, well yeah. done, good and faithful servant, yeah. you know? So, and, and that's one, I just recently did a podcast episode on the Christ is all podcast called living in the light of eternity. And what I did is I there read wow. many of the key scriptures that talk about what's on the other side of the veil and that talk about, you know, the time when we are going to be with the Lord and stand before the Lord. And, you know, it's, it's easy to get sucked into the cares of this life and forget that there's an eternity. Boy, is it. All right. You know, to, to just be so engrossed with what's going on right now in our daily lives. And so to keep an eye on, the fact that, you know, our labor is not in vain and our deeds do follow us. And, you know, we're going to be with the Lord in eternity. What we do now will affect what happens then. Um, that's just helpful to 
to be reminded of that constantly and to live in the light of eternity. So if people want to hear that, they can go to the Christ is all podcast. I think it's episodes 171, Okay, but they'll, Good. they'll see it. Yeah. You know, they'll see it in the uh, show notes. Yeah. And just on that, what is the other podcast? The insurgents, right? The insurgents podcast. Yes, sir. The insurgents podcast. That's a supplement to the book insurgents reclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. I have partners, uh, conversation partners on yeah. that podcast. And we discuss all things related to the gospel of the kingdom. And one of the things we're doing right now is we're looking at every reference to the kingdom of God in the gospels in chronological order. And, uh, it's on pause at this moment. Let's see, this is the fall of 2022, but it's going to resume at the end of 2022. And we'll get into, we'll move into full gear starting January, 2023. Uh, but there are a hundred episodes so far in the insurgents podcast. So I offer that to people who are interested in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's a big picture question, you know, but you're right. We get everything that's up in our grill and it's so easy to lose sight of that ultimate horizon. You know, the mm-hmm. new heavens and the new earth, living in the light of eternity, living in the powers of the age to mm-hmm. come, like it says in yes. Hebrews 6. And um, it's helpful. It's helpful to have, I mean, to live in the now, be fully present, but to also have a long view. Yes, the um, long view. It's it's helpful. And, and these, why not run our race to win it now is how I think about this. 48 laws of spiritual power. Um why not run well now, fight well now, or lifetime now as a seed of mm-hmm. things? Dallas Willard emphasizes that. Paul talks about it just recently. was involved in a memorial service, and we were looking at 1 Corinthians 15, where it talks about a seed sown, you know. Um, it's not a seed sown of what, what is, but what will be, but yet what we, who we are now, how we deal with Christ now, how we obey Him now affects that. Um. Hey, 48laws.com, you say you got some free resources there, right? There's incentives to go yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. There's there's going to be interviews posted there very soon. And uh, there's also going to be a, um, or there is presently, a taste test sampler. So they can test drive the book Good. before they get a copy. Yep. It's helping me already, Frank. I appreciate it. Appreciate you. Appreciate what you bring to everything in the kingdom. Keep going, Frank. Never stop. Well, you as well. And uh, it's a privilege to be on. And thanks so much for having me. And you take care. Thanks for your time.